0: Good morning once again and welcome. My name's Craig and I am the senior pastor here. It is our privilege to have you with us this morning as we've gathered together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 will begin in verse 19. Give you just a minute to turn there. We're all grateful that my microphone is working this morning. Good deal. All right, Acts 14 verse 19 Hey if you've never brought your bible to church let's say I just encourage you give it a shot sometime you might find that having that that physical bible in your hand is a little bit easier to navigate even than your electronic devices believe it or not if you got your phone though go to Acts 14 read it however you got it but uh, Uh, I tend to find that for me, maybe I'm just old, but it gets easier for me to turn the pages there even than navigate my device. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. We're going to read beginning in verse 19, and we're going to read through verse 28. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I said 28, I meant 23. I apologize. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we give you praise and glory and honor. and Thank you so much for your word. Father, this word is, it will never return to you void. I pray, Father, that you would be in the preaching of this word, that your spirit would move among us, We trust you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. How far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go in gospel ministry? How far are you willing to go in your Christian journey? What's it look like to honor the Lord with all that you have? I saw a a story just this weekend about a woman who had ran consistently for a thousand days. A thousand days at least one mile every day for a thousand days. It's hard enough for me to run at least one mile consistently for like five days. But for a thousand days, she said there were many days that she had to run in the rain and the cold and the dark. Her, her latest run, she said, was to get home one, afternoon, one evening and have to go for a run at 11.45 at night just so that she could make sure that she held on to that streak. I don't know how many of you would be willing to run every day for a thousand days. I've eaten every day for a thousand days before. Um, And that worked pretty well for me so far. But how far are you willing to go as it relates to your relationship with Lord Jesus Christ? I think a lot of times we we get into a relationship with Jesus and we sort of assume that it's all just going to be easy and everything will fall into place. But many of you who have found yourself in committed relationships with the Lord can testify to the fact that oftentimes the closer we get to Christ, it seems the more challenging our life actually becomes. The, the, the more diligently we work to try to follow Christ, it seems as though there's all sorts of barriers that jump into our way. You know, when Jesus was nearing the end of his life, the time for his crucifixion, he sought to prepare his disciples for his departure. And what's interesting is that as he prepared his disciples for his departure, Jesus didn't paint rosy pictures. Jesus didn't tell them how amazing everything was going to be. Instead, he was very honest with them about the struggles they would face. In John 16, he said, In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm kicking around bottles up here. In the next chapter, John records Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. And in John 17, Jesus said, I have given them your word. Now, this is Jesus praying. And Jesus does something that's wonderful. He prays out loud. So that his disciples there with him, and and by extension even us today, can have an an experience of knowing what Jesus prayed on our behalf. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them. Jesus gives no expectation to his followers, whether those be his immediate followers during his life on earth or those who follow today. He gave no expectation that following him would be easy. In fact, it was just the opposite, really. But, of course, anything worth doing is worth doing right, and we should expect that following Christ will bring a challenge because it is worth our time. So we find ourselves in the book of Acts, we have Paul experiencing the things that Jesus assured us all would come. Paul and the other followers of Christ experiencing certainly the outpouring of God's Spirit and the incredible expansion of gospel ministry, but they're also experiencing the struggle that comes with that ministry. They know Jesus' words to not just be theoretical, but 100% true. That they were being hated by the world just as Jesus was hated by the world. They understand very intimately that in this world there is trouble. But they continue in ministry with confidence that Jesus has indeed overcome the world. So this morning, let's look at three things from this passage of Scripture. The first thing I want us to see when we look at... Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 23, is that we need to beware of God's work. Beware of God's work. There was, there were, uh, this, this, uh, my study guy was being proofread this week, and I got a text message that says, Did you mean be aware of God's work? No, I didn't. I meant beware of God's work. Now, it's a lot more comfortable if I say be aware of God's work. We all want to be aware of all the things that God's doing But I want us to make sure that we are being wary, that we are wary, that we are uh, a little bit uh, uh, willing to approach an understanding of God's work. uh, Can't get the words out. That we are willing to approach God's work, wary of our own reaction to God's work in the world around us. Paul went down to Lystra, and God worked mightily, right? Right there. But we get to verse 19. Now, remember, he's already been kicked out of Lystra. Verse 19, excuse me, I'm sorry, he hadn't been kicked out. He'd been kicked out of Iconium. He ends up at Lystra, and they're in Lystra. He's hanging out. Things are going good. Verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. Paul went down there, God worked mightily, who opposed him? Jews, that is religious people from Antioch and Iconium, came and persuaded the other people to stone him. Why? Because God did not work according to the expectations of the Jews in those cities. Now, it's easy for us to always see the Jews as the enemy of God's work in the New Testament. But I don't want you to miss the fact that these Jewish people were very religious people. These Jewish people were very committed to their own understanding of who God was and what God was going to do. I want you to know this. God is not required to work according to your expectations. This is why you need to be aware of God's work. Some of you, matter of fact, I saw today, it was on the front page of one of the uh, uh, Fox News or CNN um, today, Uh, just this morning, but maybe some of you have been keeping up a little bit with a a, a revival that's broken out at Asbury University. I talked about this in our Wednesday evening uh, prayer service. Asbury University has been the site of several student revivals uh, in the last 60 or 70 years. 1950, there was a student revival that took place at Asbury. Asbury is a Christian University and Seminary in Kentucky. So there was a revival that took place in 1950. In 1970, there was another student revival that, that broke out in a chapel service there. went on for about seven days. A chapel service that went on six or seven days unimpeded. Now, in the 70s, what's incredible about that, those of you that are old enough to remember, I'm not fortunately, I just look like I am, uh, but uh, for those of you that are old enough to remember the Jesus movement of the 70s. There's actually a movie coming out uh, in the next few months, apparently. Ginger told me about it. I, I am the most cultur- culturally illiterate human sometimes. I had absolutely no idea. I said, well, that's cool. Uh, but uh, the Jesus movement of the 70s brought about what we now know as, as contemporary Christian music. Some good and some bad, but uh, we won't go there. Uh, but uh, the Jesus movement much of that can actually be traced back to the revivals that broke out on the campus of Asbury University, Asbury College at that time. Because student groups from across the country came to Asbury to see what God was doing and to experience it. And then they took it back to their own campuses, this outpouring of God's Spirit. There were other teams from Asbury that left that school and went to other campuses and universities and student ministries all across the country. And and the fire of God's revival spread. A couple of weeks ago in a chapel service at Asbury University, the spirit of God was poured out in an incredible way. And they've been experiencing revival ever since at Asbury. Now what's been horrifying to watch is some of the, the internet's wonderful because the internet allows us to see so much of this in real time and to see everybody's reactions. It's been incredible for me to see the way that lots of religious people have responded to these revivals at Asbury. Because there have been many folks who were quick to pour cold water on anything that God was doing because it wasn't happening in the way that they expected it might happen. Of course, we've got some old people that are real quick to throw out lots of questions about what might happen among a bunch of teenagers. Careful being one of those people. Listen, God's plans are not your plans. God's plans are not your plans. Actually, who are you to believe in these situations, right? Your own experiences or to sit back and trust that God may be bigger than your experiences. Listen, your religion can blind you to the movement of the Lord. Your religion can blind you to the movement of the Lord. Notice I said your Religion. Now, I, I, I'm not one of those guys that likes to really draw these significant distinctions between having religion and having a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Proper religion is a relationship with Christ. The problem is oftentimes our religious experience become defined by our rather than the God whom we worship. Hour, O-U-R, not H-O-U-R. And they become your religious experience. And so perhaps you had a really good religious experience one time. Maybe you had an amazing period of time in your life where God worked mightily. And maybe he worked in a particular kind of preaching. Or he worked to a particular kind of music. Or he worked through people wearing a particular kind of clothes. Or a particular time of the day. Or a particular Whatever. And in the middle of all that, you begin chasing after that same religious experience and you begin to believe that the only way that God can work is in these particular kinds of ways. And so instead of chasing after a relationship with the Lord Jesus, the only thing you're pursuing is a religion built around your expectations of what God is going to do and how He is supposed to act. And what can happen is that your religion can actually blind you To the movement of God. Some of you have become, let me be kinder. If you're not careful, your religious convictions can look more like a drug addict chasing after that first high all over again. Now, if you've never struggled with addiction you don't know others who have, let me explain what I mean by that. Many addicts are continually chasing after that first experience they have, with that very first high. And the reason they continue to take more and more drugs is because they're trying to get back to what they experienced, the first round. And you never quite get there. You can get close, but they never get there. This is what makes drugs so demonic. Because they grab hold and they don't let go. They, they, they wave a, a, a hope out there that can't actually be attained. Some of you have become religious junkies. You're not actually pursuing intimate relationship with the Lord and the movement of God in the world, but you're chasing after that first high that you had. And it looked a certain way and it happened in a certain time and all these things had to take place. And if you're not careful, you begin to believe that the only way that God can work is if he works in the way that he worked in your life 30 years ago. And if he works in any way other than the way that you experienced him, then you immediately begin to believe that it couldn't be true. That's exactly what happened to Paul. Remember, God begins to do amazing works through this man. Paul goes down to Lystra and he preaches the gospel. People are healed. Things are changed. The world's being turned upside down. The Jews hear that Paul has left and they say, Man, we hate this guy so bad that we're going to go down to the place where he's preaching and we're going to tell them how horrible he is and see if we can't get him killed. Why? Because Paul did not look like them, preach like them, talk like them, act like them, expect or experience like them. Their religion was blinding them to the movement of God. Jesus had come down among them. The Messiah had arrived. I kicked that bottle of water again. We can't continue to put that right there. The Messiah had arrived, but these who were supposedly seeking him had so convinced themselves that they understood it all that they could not see God when he showed up. Folks, let me warn you against believing that you've got it all figured out. Let me warn you against believing that you've got it all understood. Trusting in faith means holding with an open hand. Lord, lead me and I will follow. Work, Lord, and I'll give you glory, praise, and honor. God, work in ways that I might not expect or understand. Lord, God, give me the faith to trust you when you move contrary to what I would expect. Y'all, sometimes there's big changes and little changes. You know that? Like sometimes God, sometimes the things that God moves us in are bigger, diff- bigger. Little. I laughed this morning. I saw one kid walk out looking sharp in his jacket and his tie. I saw another kid dragging his jacket behind him. <laughs> you know what they're doing? They're both going to serve to worship the same Lord, right? I mean, I, 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 there was a time when I, I I didn't preach in anything but a suit. Angel looked at me one day and said, "Why are you wearing a suit?" I said, "Because that's like my preaching uniform. That's what I wear." She said, nobody else is. I said, sure. And then I looked around. I was like, no, right? So today I'm in jeans. I still feel weird about it. But whatever. The rest of y'all don't, I guess. I don't know. Sometimes it's small. Sometimes it's big. Some of you grew up preaching nothing but the King James, but God works in other ways, right? It can be about the music that we sing. and sometimes about the ways that we reach folks. Let's just be careful that we don't paint paint God into a box. And then assume that God has to work inside of this box. I don't know if you know this, but He's sort of God over the box, not God in the box. Let's be willing to conform ourselves to His expectation of us, rather than to conform Him to our expectation of Him. Beware of God's work, because when God shows up, He is going to mess you up. There's some of you in here, this is no lie. There's some of you that have prayed for by name today because my hope is that he would mess you up in this sermon. I, I kind of want to apologize because if God does in your life what I hope he does, it is going to mess you up bad. But he's going to do that so that he can do great things in your life. Beware of God's word. Beware. The second thing this morning, be willing to suffer. Do you know that following Jesus may not be easy? Mark 15, 21 tells the story of a man named Simon. Simon from a place called Cyrene in North Africa. Cyrene, maybe you know Simon's story. Simon was just walking down a street in Jerusalem one day. Maybe he was there to worship. Maybe he was a sightseer. We don't know why he was there, but we know he was walking down a street. And as he was walking down the street, some soldiers grabbed him. And the Bible uses this word, compelled him To carry the cross of Jesus Christ. Compelled. It's a nice way of saying they made him carry Jesus' cross. Following Jesus may not be easy. In Simon's situation, in Simon's case, following Jesus physically meant following Jesus up Golgotha's hill. Carrying the cross of Christ. We need to be willing to suffer. Carrying a cross is not... Easy carrying a cross is drudgery. No one else carried Jesus's cross. Do you know that? No one else physically carried Jesus's cross. Jesus and Simon. That's it, folks. We got to be willing to suffer. Now, tradition holds that Simon's children, Alexander and Rufus. Now, that's listed in, right there in Mark fifteen twenty one. That he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Tradition holds that they became missionaries. Rufus may actually be the Rufus that Paul mentions in the book of Romans toward the end. It's possible, now this is all conjecture, but it's possible that Alexander is one of the Cyrenians, the Serenian men who were mentioned as preachers in Acts chapter 11. But we don't really know. All we know for sure is that Simon carried the cross and it was only Simon. Paul didn't carry the cross. John didn't carry the cross. Peter didn't carry the cross. Simon. Paul was stoned and beheaded. John was exiled. Peter was killed. There were a variety of ways that Christ's followers suffered. Some were exposed to hunger and heartache, shipwreck. There were a variety of ways that they suffered, but only Simon carried the cross. Folks, let me encourage you today. Following Jesus may be hard in your life. Be willing to suffer. But don't covet the suffering of someone else. That sounds kind of a weird way to say it, doesn't it? See, your life doesn't look like my life or like somebody else's. It can be easy when we find ourselves following Jesus to sometimes go, why? They don't suffer as much as I suffered. Or they didn't suffer the way I suffered. Or they didn't go through what I went through. Only Simon carried the cross. Folks, the cross that you have to bear is different than what everyone else will carry. But it doesn't make it any less necessary or important. we got to be willing to suffer. Jesus said, in this world there will be troubles, but I have overcome the world. The Bible says that Paul went... And they stoned him. And the next day, he rose up and went and did it all over again. There's something wrong with this guy. You understand? Hey, y'all tried to kill me, and then they look up the next day like you got to be kidding me. This guy's back. I can't believe he showed up again because the gospel was that important to him. Christ mattered that much. There was no belief in Paul's life that because he followed Jesus that he was going to have an easy life, an easy path, an easy trek. Instead, he felt confident apparently that following Jesus meant suffering. And as a result, when the suffering came, he just kept right on. He got busy doing the things that needed to be done. Look, suffering can bring sanctification and gospel success. Imagine, somebody saw Paul standing up there the next day and went, Wow! If this guy is that nuts over this message, I ought to at least give a few minutes to hear what he has to say. How many of y'all have heard someone speak of clinging to faith in Christ through difficult times in their life and recognize that if it mattered that much to them, it was worth your time to hear what they had to say? How many of you could testify to the fact that in the middle of suffering that Christ has actually drawn you closer that your suffering in some weird way has actually been a weird sort of blessing because the suffering resulted in your sanctification. That Suffering brought about the opportunity for you to proclaim the gospel. That suffering brought about greater ministry opportunities. That suffering changed your family dynamic. Folks, we got to be willing to suffer. Understand now this runs contrary to so much of what we've grown to believe in American Christianity. Somewhere we bought the lie when we were the popular kid on the block on the block, that we were supposed to have these easy lives because we followed Jesus. He never made that promise. He promised just the opposite. And when we think about how far we're willing to go, we've got to remember that Paul was left for dead and came back for more. Too many of us are left unpopular and run away. Too many of us feel unfulfilled and we walk away. Jesus' call is to come and die. There's an interesting way that Jesus seems to respond throughout the Gospels. Every time that his popularity would grow, that he would become really popular and have this big following, he would turn around and say like the most crazy thing to some, to to the people following. I can only imagine. So, like, maybe Peter's his PR guy right? Peter's not the PR guy. He was terrible at that. Judas was probably the PR guy. You know, I mean, that's what I imagine most PR guys are is Judas. It's too soon. Um, but no, I mean, you just think like they, they got their little club. There's 12 of them. They're hanging out with Jesus. And, and at first they, they're kind of the weirdos, right? Come, I'll make you fishers of men. They're like, all right, I'll give it a shot. But remember, there's still a part of them. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And their understanding of the Messiah is the Messiah is going to raise up an army. He's going to overthrow Roman rule. He's going to restore the throne to Jerusalem. And so they're hanging out. And they're like, hey, we're a part of this at the the very ground level. And then as Jesus' followers would begin to multiply, and maybe those guys would feel a little bit more safe and secure and follow and Jesus would turn around and say something like, the only way you can follow me is if you'll eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they'd go, what in the world are you doing, Jesus? You know, he turned around and there's a lot of them and go, hey, unless you're willing to leave your daddy to bury himself, you can't actually come follow me. And the disciples have got to be going No, you don't understand. This isn't the way that we raise an army or build a political party. Because he wasn't. We'll just let that one sink for a while. Some of y'all need to be reminded he wasn't building a political party. Or an army or a nation building a kingdom but his kingdom was not of this world and so he reminded his followers regularly that following him was costly and hard take my yoke he said my yoke is easy and my burden is light but it is still a yoke you must still bear it be willing to suffer how far are you willing to go? Beware of God's work; it's going to mess you up. Be willing to suffer. And then, third, this morning, support the preaching of the gospel. I think this one seemed a little bit out of place, so let me let me uh, let me let me explain it just a little bit. Um, preaching is a team sport. Now that doesn't seem like it, since I'm standing up here in front of y'all, and y'all are sitting out there. But let's let's read. But when they decide, uh, Paul was, uh, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next morning, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders to them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Let's focus right there on verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up. And then Barnabas grabbed him and they went to Derby, And then they turned around and went back to where they came from. All the places they came from. Lystra, right? Antioch, Iconium. I don't know if perhaps there were some of those places that Paul limped limped into and said, Hey guys, it's good to see you. I don't know if y'all know this, but you weren't successful. I'm still alive. But what I do know is the Bible makes a big deal of pointing out to us that Paul didn't do any of it until the disciples gathered about him. Don't miss that. Even the Apostle Paul was never called to go through these struggles alone. Even Paul was not called to be Lone Ranger Christian. He was laying in the dirt, beat up, left for dead, and he laid there until they came and found him. They picked him up. They supported Paul. Who are they? The disciples. In this case, a nameless lot. What does that mean? Look, you have a part In the ministry of the gospel. You have a part in the proclamation of the gospel. You might not be in the spotlight. But you have an important part to play. All of God's people do. What do those parts look like? Look, pray for the expansion of God's kingdom. How many of you prayed last night or this morning for this message that was going to be preached? I hope that all of you did. I hope many of you found yourselves praying for the worship service. But if you didn't, why not? Why did you leave me up here all by myself this morning? Right? Why did you leave these worship team members all alone? Did you pray for God's Holy Spirit to come along with us? Did you join us in prayer and and in preparation for this worship service? Get busy. Pray for the expansion of God's kingdom. Pray by name for people that you know will be in the worship service who need to hear the gospel. Pray by name for people who you know need to be in the worship service. Pray by name. Pray for those folks who are going to be witnessed too. Pray for those folks who are going to go do the witnessing. Pray. And then prepare to join God in His work. I know there's a lot of Ps right there. You know, as Paul neared the end of his life, languishing in a Roman prison. He wrote one last letter to his disciple, protege, child in the faith, his friend, his fellow minister, Timothy. And that's what we have as 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul begins by giving Timothy some, some practical instructions about preaching and leadership, some warnings But in about the middle of the chapter, I think it's around verse 9, he shifts gears. And he steps away from giving Timothy instructions to this. Timothy, hurry up and come to me. Timothy, I need you here with me. It's interesting. The things that he asks for. He says, bring my parchments, my books. Bring the manuscripts, bring things I can write with and work on. Very practically, bring a coat, because I'm cold. But you know, he didn't say, Timothy, send it. He said, Timothy, come. See, the thing that Paul needed most was Timothy. Companionship from one of his dearest friends. Do your best to come, he says. Not exactly. He says, do your best to come to me soon. Every other writing that we have of Paul engaging with Timothy, he's kicking Timothy out. You ever considered that? Timothy, go preach here. Timothy, go do there. But as Paul neared the end of his life, he said, Timothy, I need you to come here. Do you know that sometimes your greatest support of the gospel may not be what you think? It may be coming alongside another believer and strengthening them for the work that God's called them to. Imagine Billy Graham. And somebody says, you know what, Billy, I think you've done enough preaching. Let me step up and take this for you. But that's the way that we handle ministry a lot of times. It's a little bit backwards. You see God working in someone's life. You say, well, there's an opportunity. I need to take that ministry off their shoulders. But, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do to support them might not be to step up and take Billy Graham's preaching away from him, but to take something else off his plate, right? Maybe to pray for him in that moment, to support him in other ways. If we're not careful, the ministry that we want to take is the one that gives us the praise and the glory. Rather than to be one of those nameless disciples that's praying, One of those nameless disciples that's being part of the team. One of those nameless disciples that's preparing. One of those nameless disciples that's supporting. We're going, hey, well, give me that ministry. But sometimes God's called us not to take that, but instead God says, how far are you willing to go in serving without a spotlight? Serving without a name. How far are you willing to go? Paul was left for dead and he showed back up. How far are you willing to go? I think I know that for many of us, one of those struggles is I'm willing to do ministry that matters, but Lord, I, but I'm not willing to do things that don't matter. In other words, but, but that, that looks kind of like going all the way back up to, you know, our own religion. I decide what the ministry is that matters And I don't want to do the other things. Imagine if somebody says, Hi, you can go pick Paul up, and they're going to talk about you one day. But really, the greatest ministry you can do is go pick that half dead man up off the road and send him back on his way. Let's read it again. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. What do you think Paul looked like in that place? It's not good, folks. Remember, stoning is not what you might think. It was violent. Large stones. How big can you throw? With the intention of inflicting harm and death. And so at some point, a large rock or multiples hit him in the head. Which probably left him bleeding profusely and knocked him out. And he was in such poor shape that the people who tried to kill him assumed that they had finished the job and they grabbed him by the ankles and they drug drug him out of the city and left him in a crumpled, bloody heap for dead. And one of the most important characters in this entire narrative are these disciples that gathered about him. These disciples that went and found him. And they rose up and they got him back on his feet. Do you know that there were probably some who said, Paul, you need to just let us do the preaching from now on. Because you're in no shape to do it. See, that's the way that we do ministry sometimes. I look at somebody that's found success in a particular kind of ministry, but they're busy, they got a lot on their plate. Well, I don't go to them and say, hey, can I come and wash your dishes today? I say, let me take that ministry off your plate. They've been beat up and bruised and battered, but I just want to take the ministry off their plate. What I need to do is just to be washing their wounds, serving these people, fanning the flame. And then... Walking with Paul as he went back to preach. You imagine Paul limping, maybe with a cane. He's filthy, he's bruised, he's scabbed over, missing a tooth, eyes swollen shut. And these respectable disciples are just standing around him, holding him up. One of them says, Paul, just let me handle this for you. And he goes, I got to do this. And he begins to preach. He begins to speak and he begins to proclaim. And then he finishes. And he says, what? They had made many disciples. And he says, all right, let's go back. And so I said, what do, you, what do you mean go back? Now, nah, Paul, you can't do that. I will go. And Paul says, no, I have to go. This is the vision that God's given me. This is the mission he's called me to. And back they go. How far are you willing to go? Some of us are far more willing to be left for dead for the sake of the gospel than we are to be forgotten for the sake of the gospel a lot of people are ready to pull their sword and slice off the high priest servant's ear but just like Peter not willing to be known as a nobody following after a criminal how far are you willing to go? Are we willing for our names to be forgotten in the books of history if Jesus is glorified and praised and honored? Are we willing for nobody to know who we are if the gospel goes forth? Are you willing to write checks and never get your name on a sign? Are you willing to disciple believers and nobody ever knows except the people that you impact? Are you willing to give hours on end in prayer? And not brag about it on social media? Are you willing to share the gospel with the last, least, and lost? Are you willing to dirty yourself in the hard places of the world? So that the people hardened by this world can hear the life-saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, when I ask how far are you willing to go, most of you assume this is going to be one of those missionary sermons. Right? Are you willing to go to deepest and darkest Peru with the gospel? Maybe God's calling you to that. And man, I would celebrate it. I talked just this week about whether or not there may be some of you that are being, being called to military chaplaincy. And wow, would we celebrate that? Would you surrender and submit to a call to pastoral ministry? Praise the Lord. But what about the rest of you? All of you that are not going to be called into vocational ministry of some sort. In other words, the vast majority of you. How far are you willing to go in your commitment to Christ and in your effort to proclaim the gospel? Are you willing to be forgotten? if Christ is made famous? Are you willing to suffer so that many may be saved? Beware of God's work. when the Holy Spirit of God grips your heart He's going to do things in your life that you're not yet prepared for some of you will sell businesses and homes and lands some of you will sever relationships with friends some of you will change your entire lifestyle Some of you may become a catalyst for revival. But it's going to hurt. Agony will precede the ecstasy of God's work in your life. Beware. But having been warned, would you be willing to suffer Would you be willing to support? Would you be willing to join God in His Word? Would you be willing to go? As we conclude this morning, that's the invitation. How far are you willing to go? It's pretty generic, it's pretty wide open. Because it's my firm belief that what God asks of us is a blank check with our signature at the bottom. See, I don't know what it is that God's calling you to sacrifice. I'm not sure what God's calling you to change. Some of you are involved in relationships that God is calling you out of, and you're terrified. Because you've been involved in that illicit relationship for a very long time. Some of you are involved in lifestyles that run contrary and counter to the Word of God. And to turn away from that is terrifying. Some of you know the thing that God's calling you from. Career changes and lifestyle changes. Some of you know it. It's not as though you have new revelation today. See, the question today is simply, are you willing to obey? Simon was compelled to carry the cross of Jesus. He was the only one. You may be the only one compelled to change that particular area of your life. Simon was obedient. Will you be obedient today? Are you willing to go as far as God would have you? As we stand and sing... Some of you don't have a relationship with Lord Jesus Christ. And today the first step in your obedience needs to be surrendering to Christ. In faith and repentance. I'd love to pray with you today about what that looks like. Others of you today may want to come and pray around this altar. However it is that the Lord's at work in your life. Go as far as He would have you go. Stand with me as we pray. Father God, I pray that you give us the courage to trust you. Father God, help us to trust your word that you are who you say you are. To trust your heart. or God, to trust your hand as it leads us. Help us to be willing to go to the ends of the earth, to our next door neighbors, to an entirely different life committed to you. In Jesus' name, amen.